we are recording. Hello, you are listening to Action Research Global Conversations. My name is Lania Rademacher, and I am the current chair of the Action Research Special Interest Group of the American Educational Research Association for 2020 through 2022. In this podcast, we hope to feature those who are passionate about action research. We hope to include action researchers from around the globe. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is Margaret Ryle. Margaret Ryle is Professor Emeritus from Pepperdine University and Director of the Center for Collaborative Action Research. Margaret is a familiar face in the action research world, having been a past chair of the AERA Action Research SIG, um, the Executive Committee member of the Action Research Network of the Americas, frequent author of action research, including her work as co-editor of the Paul Grave International Handbook of Action Research, and works tirelessly to continue to promote action research on social media. She facilitates the Supporting the Teaching of Action Research Community, which is the Star C, and developed the Action Research Tutorials. She regularly posts action research news for a worldwide audience on the Action Research Tutorials Facebook group. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you very much. It's so great to have you here and to talk to you about action research. I wonder if you could give our listeners a little bit of background into your work with action research across the decades um, and what led you to today. Well, in some ways I've been doing action research all my life, but I formally was asked to teach action research um, at Pepperdine University in and when I started, I had this kind of panic reaction of, well, wait a minute, I don't know what this is. How can I teach it? Um, and the person who, who uh, was my colleague said, look, you've been doing action research your whole life. How can you find this difficult? But I remembered that I did. And I kept reading the books over and trying to get my mind around exactly what this method was. And I wish I had documented what it was that was troubling me at that time because, you know, now I can see that it really was what I have been doing my whole life. And, um, you know, I have a, I just love problems. I think problems are an opportunity to learn. And, you know, I, I have a little bit of trouble with people who see action research as too problem-based. That is problem in the negative sense. But I see problems as, you know, when they come up, they're the puzzles that, that are the mental kind of food that we need to nourish ourselves. And so thinking about a problem and coming up with an idea for how to solve it, and then systematically checking to see if you are solving that problem, and, and then knowing how to frame the next problem that will make you even better at what you do is what is the really um, the heart of an action researcher. So that was early. Um, once I got a handle on teaching action research, I started first widening the students' exposure by putting on a conference at the university instead of having posters. I wanted to have a, a real conference where they presented their findings and shared it with people wider than the university. And that brought me to the AERA Action Research SIG um, and then I started realizing how little they were using technology and how my students could actually help the SIG by 
moving them more into the uh, sharing of their information with technology. And I also got humbled by how many different ways there were for teaching action research. So I had come with this notion that I knew what action research was. And then I realized I only knew one little tiny way of teaching action research and one small variant of it. So then I became really interested in all the very many different ways and the larger community. And that got me engaged in going to other universities conferences, um, particularly uh, Lonnie Rial at um, USD. And there I met a set of colleagues who decided that we really needed a home for action research that was highly supportive to the new action researchers. So we created the Action Research Network of the Americas. And from there, um, I, when I retired, then I decided I really wanted to help practicing teachers who weren't going back to the university, but really had a thirst for knowledge. And so that led me to, the, uh, to extend the Center for Collaborative Action Research to practicing teachers in a global um, in a global organization. And that's how I ended up creating the tutorials. And that gets me to the present day of really trying to um, connect people worldwide who are doing action research and share news from one area to another. That is, uh, that was a very good trajectory of what you've been <laughs> doing. And, and I've, I've known you for most of that time. And so, um, I find most of what you've done just fascinating and so helpful. And so I'm going to ask you a little bit about some of those things. Um, when you were um, active in the AERA Action Research SIG, I believe is when you um, initiated a project, a Delphi study to define action research. Can you tell us about that and how that uh, came about and what the results of that were. I think it's still on the, the action research website. So it is. And um, a group of us were discussing, you know, as I said, that there were these different ways of thinking about action research. And when we set up the uh, website um, for uh, AERA SIG in action research, we decided that there should be a defining statement of action research. But the question was, who was going to write that defining statement? Um, each of us could and, and have. I mean, I have a defining statement on uh, the Center for Collaborative Action Research. Uh, every person who puts up a website has their own definition. But the question was, what should the definition be for AERA, where there's, it brings together all these different variants of action research? And one of our colleagues that we were actually going on a, on a, um, uh, SIG sponsored uh, before conference workshop um, in the community. We, we tried to, when, when I was SIG, we tried, when I was chair, we tried to have a, um, an event that people went to, to see local schools that were doing action research. So it was on the bus actually coming back that one of the uh, other colleagues said, well, you know, I'm, I do Delphi studies all the time and that's a solution for the problem that you're having. And so we decided, yeah, that would make sense. So we, we took the membership and went through and found a, um, people who, in our minds, qualified for expert. So people who had either written books, um, were, had a worldwide reputation for consulting and 
uh, promoting action research. And we created, I think, a group of, um, and we started, I think, with 20, and we ended up with 13 that, that accepted our invitation. And they went through a process in, in the Delphi process, two stages of generating their definitions of action research in, in um, statements. And then we, we kept ordering the statements from those that were most important and those that would drop off. But then we decided that the experts shouldn't be the only people who define what action research is. So at one of the SIG meetings, we did a, a modified learning circle approach to um, the Delphi study, which we put people in small groups, learning circles, and uh, learning circles are um, a form of collaboration that is uh, collectively managed or, you know, has distributed leadership as a property. So we gave people the um, in different learning circles, we gave people the different uh, statements. So we had we div divided the statements into different groups so that they didn't have to read all of them. And we put about, I don't know, eight or 10, 12 statements on a piece of paper. And each person was supposed to circle five of the statements that they thought were the most central in understanding action research. And when their turn came, they were to lead a discussion around one of their top their top one that hasn't been discussed yet. And so, and we audio taped these uh, discussions. So now we had, you know, maybe 50 or 60 members of the Action Research SIG having really deep discussions about what is really action research. And then from that, we were able to extract um, the kinds of things that people felt most passionate about and that helped us reorder. So we were able to combine that third step with the third step of the experts and then come up with a statement that we feel pretty much captures what the collective view of action research is. And that's what we, what we published. Nice, thank you so much for that. I think uh, in, in my own writing, um, I've looked at the intersection of action research and teaching and participatory action research in communities and critical action critical participatory action research globally, and I I, um, I find it um, interesting to think of action research as a paradigm, as um, uh, 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 Jerry. Um, you know, of course, the name just went right out of my head. Jerry Pine uh, described action research for teachers as a paradigm of knowledge democracy. And I know that's something that you and Lonnie have talked about a great deal in your work with others. Can you tell me what you think about in terms of uh, teachers and knowledge democracy or any action research and, and how they get their, how they own the knowledge mm -hmm. and how they disseminate it so others can participate? Well, one of the things about teaching that, um, Sort of driven me my whole life is, I mean, the question, if I have to take the umbrella question that, that goes across my whole career, it would be, how can I help teachers be less bored? Um, because uh, I think the reason why kids pick that adjective as the adjective to describe school is because their teachers are bored. 
And my answer to that is that teachers aren't learning. Um, teachers got into teaching because they wanted to learn, but we've shaped teaching in such rigid ways that there is no time in the curriculum for teachers to learn. Yeah. So what really energizes and creates the passion in teaching is learning. And it's so that, have, huh? that critical inquiry stance where we're yes. thinking about what does that mean? What does that look like? How might it look different? Finding problems and knowing how to find problems and seeing problems in a productive way, not being afraid of problems is something that um, as a culture, we don't encourage. Um, I'm, in the Tim study, I'm struck that Tim's the third international um, science and math uh, study that they did worldwide. They asked, they interviewed the top teachers and the Japanese came out on top and they interviewed them. And in one of the interviews, I was really struck by um, a teacher talking about when a kid gives a wrong answer, how they deal with it um, and how that's, and that was being contrasted by the American teachers who work so hard never to have a kid be embarrassed by giving a wrong answer. So they give them the answer first and ask them to give it back. Whereas the teacher said in, in the Japanese classroom is that when a kid brings an idea to the table that turns out to be wrong, when they're done with their discussion and figuring out why it was a wrong answer, the class thanks the person for bringing that idea to the, cl to the class so that they could have this really rich discussion. And that to me is the heart of the problem of the school system in our country. Um, mm -hmm. We don't value thinking. We value memorization um, way over thinking. So working out why something you see visually um, is, is not the way something actually works. Then you have a deep understanding, but to say to the kid, no, you think the sun sets, but really the earth turns. So just remember that. Well, it doesn't, if you don't really work out why it doesn't look that way, if you don't work it out for yourself and work it out for the group, then all you're doing is discounting thinking. And we discount thinking for the kids, we discount thinking for the teachers. And without that thinking, then school becomes boring for everybody. So yeah. I got a far ways away from your, from your question, which was, you know, I think why is it important that we get teachers involved in doing participatory action research. The other really important, oh, and sharing, the other really important point I wanted to make is that teachers do evolve theories. They do evolve, they do evolve really deep knowledge about what it means to teach um, students how to read or, or how to understand complicated math um, uh, formulations. But when they retire, they take all that knowledge with them and it goes away and they don't, we don't have it anymore. And a new teacher has yeah. to make it all up again, almost without help. Um, and, and because the reason is, is we don't have really good ways of saving teacher knowledge from one generation of teachers to the next. So the, the development of knowledge in the teaching profession is a slow, torturous process. And I'll never forget when we took a group of teachers to a um, cognitive science conference. And 
they were blown away that there were all these researchers doing research on teaching that they'd never heard about. It never filtered to them. They didn't even know it was taking place. It wasn't that they weren't paying attention to the, to the research. It was like a doctor not knowing that there is medical research being done to help him figure out or help her figure out what the best cure is. They didn't even know these people existed. That's how separate the research arm of, of learning about teaching and learning how to teach is. So connecting those, which is mm -hmm. what I tried to do from the beginning. That's why people said, of course, you're doing action research. It's because my goal my whole time has been to work with teachers to help them um, be engaged in a researcher-teacher um, partnership. So, and, and we argued all the way along, what should that partnership look like? Who should own the knowledge? Who should be the writer? Who should? So we were negotiating that, that role of the relationship between the teacher and the researcher. And I've now come to see that really the critical thing is to give the teachers space to be the researcher in the classroom. Uh, and that means finding help for the teacher for the kinds of clerical tasks that the, and the social problem solving tasks that aren't educational. Um, they need a nurse, it, like, to, like a doctor needs a nurse, the teacher needs a nurse. They need somebody in the, in the, uh, in the school system that is doing the custodial and the management part of being with kids so they can really focus on the teaching part and the learning part. Um, and I think if we, if we made that kind of adjustment, then the teachers would have the opportunities to be learners. And also when they came into the classroom, their students would respect their time so much more mm -hmm. because it's limited, you know? And, and I think we need that in the same way that when the doctor comes in, there's a sense of this is the real expert who can really help me with my problems. I think we need to have that same kind of um, level of respect around a teacher. This is someone who can really help me um, figure things out that I've been struggling with without that help. Right, right. Well, that leads me to um, your series in action research tutorials. And let me set this up a little bit. So uh, I also teach action research at the doctoral level. It's right now embedded in within a qualitative class and uh, it doesn't give quite the uh, importance to action research as I would like, but uh, I do focus in the class on um, uh, helping students understand that action research is a framework of mind of thinking about problem solving, which is really what a dissertation is about. And so, um, uh, this class is for online doctoral students, and um, I have several of your video tutorials embed with credit to you embedded in the recommended resources to help students um, conceptualize. And we just started running this course in the June term um, that just ended, and uh, or the May and June term that just ended. And so I'll be interested to see what students have to say about it. Um, but I, I just found your tutorials to be really helpful and clear, especially for novice researchers about what kinds of things to think about, what kinds of questions to ask themselves. So tell me a little bit about your tutorials and for our audience, 
um, how you started them and what kind of response you've had from uh, the community at large. Well, I'm going to give you two reasons I started them. One is the one that we were just talking about, and that is I complain to teachers that when they leave the profession, they take their knowledge with you. Well, I've been, te I've been teaching action research for over a decade, and I was leaving the university, and what was I doing with all that knowledge that I gained working with all those wonderful students? They've taught me so much um, each semester, and I learned all that wonderful all that wonderful content from them. And if I just retire and walk away with it, then that's, I'm part of the problem. And so um, that was one of the motivations for me to take what I had done, what I knew about teaching action research and put it in a place, you know, and many people write a book at that point. And I decided rather than to write a book, I'd write a website. The second reason for it and, the, and probably the main motivation was that I, I am on the board of directors of an organization called the Education, uh, the International Education and Resource Network, IEARN. It is a group of educators around the world who come together to heal the social fabric of our planet and to, and to work on the environmental um, problems of climate change. And I mean, they didn't call it climate change before, but just environmental issues and social issues. And so um, these teachers have done wonderful things over the last 25, 30 years. And I thought, well, if I could help these teachers shift from a project-based learning mentality to an action research problem-based um, mentality, then we would have, they would be generating the, not only these wonderful projects, but why these projects work. So I thought, well, I'll see if I can get a core, a small group of people who were interested in doing this. So that was my sort of retirement project was to, to, to try to get practicing teachers who weren't going back for a degree, who weren't getting any special um, rewards. And it really helped me see the difference, the kind of control you have as a university professor and the kind of control you have as someone who just wants to work with teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, but I got a core of teachers and uh, they have worked with me. Some of them have been working with me now for five, six years doing action research and, and we meet monthly, but I realize that in, I am going to get back to answering your question, um, that it, since we meet monthly, there's no way for me to both tell them what action research is and help them do their action research. So I realized that I had to flip the classroom. I had to put me talking in a place where they could just go and get it so that when we had our monthly meetings, it would all, it would all be about their talking um, and their sharing what they were doing. But it, in order to do that, they needed to be able to fix. And then the other thing is, of course, if I wrote a book, the problem would be getting this book to all the different countries and, and in the language of all the different people who were working. Whereas if I write a website, um, Google will translate it so that people can get the gist of it in other languages and they can help them with their, you know, trying to make sense out of what's going on. And it has, um, it has the possibility of both talking, resources, links, and you can make it go as deep as you'd like or as shallow as you'd like, depending upon the need of the person. So in some cases, 
the teachers that I'm working with have have done an action research project in their university, they just kind of stopped. And so this is helping them make action research a lifelong activity. In other cases, they've never heard of action research and they have no idea what it is. And they need to really start at the very beginning and try to get a handle on this. And in most cases, it takes several years for them to actually get their mind around what action research is. And I wish I had written my own notes down as I was struggling because I can't figure out what it is that's hard about it. It seems so easy <laughs> to understand. Yeah. And yet I know I was panicked over, am I getting this right? Am I really understanding this? So I know there's, and even with having had, having done these teacher research partnerships all of my career, before I faced this, you would think that it would just be such an easy transition and it wasn't but I don't know why I really can't get back and I use that example when I tell people how important it is in action research to document your mental processes as you move along because that's the only way mm -hmm. you will be able to get back to that previous knowledge state because once you leave it it's invisible to you and it's very useful to be able to understand it because then you can help other people make similar transitions. That's fascinating. I, I worked with a couple teachers up in the Chicago area and one was a friend of mine. She lived down the street from me and she was talking about her classroom and, and the struggle she was having with some students. And, and I very tentatively said, well, I could help you with an action research project. And because I knew she knew what that was and I knew where she'd gone to school. And she very enthusiastically said, oh, that would be great. And then mm -hmm. after we completed this and, and um, finished the project, um, Heather Latimer and Stacy Kaye compiled this book of teacher action research, like thing, not like academic wide, but what what things were you thinking about? Just exactly what you were talking about. What are the processes? And so we wrote a couple chapters for that together, the three of us. And one of them was the, the absolute, um, I don't know, I wouldn't call it paranoia, but I know that my friend Kathy expressed she was terrified of doing an action research project terrified she didn't tell me that she didn't express that to me but she as we talked about getting into it she said I was terrified I didn't know if I'd do the right thing I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to make sense of all this and so um, I think it's just overwhelming and I think writing down those experiences are very important to keeping that knowledge alive for sure yeah what I've come to understand from teaching action research is it's a lot like life coaching. And mm. you are helping other people make decisions in their life. And you can't take that lightly because those, those decisions have consequence. Um, in some cases, it may be the end of the job that they currently have because they realize their values are so misaligned with the work that they're doing that no amount of work that they can do can shift the workplace into something that they are content with. And, you know, helping people make those decisions is a really, it's a really serious and difficult, it weighs heavily in the same way that doctors work 
weighs heavily. You're yeah. making choices. You're helping people make choices that will have consequences for the rest of their lives. And so those, you, you, you have to be careful that one, you never own the problem. You let them own it. Um, because if you take the problem away and say, this is what you should do, then if it doesn't go well, you've, you've interfered in their lives in ways that are not ethically um, responsible. So it's, it's always helping them see that they own the problem. And, and sometimes they don't own the problem. Sometimes the people they work with own the problem. So it's a cascading kind of yes. thing. Um, I like the, the uh, action learning, action research approach from Australia because um, action, action, action learning and action research because you can't do action research without getting the people that you work with involved in active learning and maybe even in action research as well because it is a process by which you collectively own a problem that you're yes. trying to solve. And that, that ownership of the problem is a really important concept that I don't see really discussed as much in action research. Who owns the problem? And then trying to figure out what you, who needs to be at the table in order to solve that problem. And that's, I mean, what the way in which action research talks about it is always multi-voice and knowledge democracy, but it really is about this issue of, of ownership, in my mind, about making sure that everybody who owns the problem is part of the solution. I love that. I love that. that um, there's a lot of philosophical implications in there that we could discuss for days on end. I think probably um, um, speaking truth to power and, and all of the ideas about who has the power uh, to define a problem and then to own a problem. It's so important. And I just, uh, I really appreciate you um, bringing that up. I wanted to move to your Facebook group um, and have you talk about that because I'm a member, so I see the posts. Um, it's one of the groups that pops up on my um, feed um, whenever anyone posts. And every week you have more new people from around the globe, um, which is just fascinating to me and I think so exciting. Um, and uh, really speaks to the ability of action research to serve the needs of not only teachers, but action researchers in their contexts. So if you could talk about that. I'll do that. And that actually links to the part of a question that I didn't answer because you asked what the reception of the ah. um, learning, um, the, the action research tutorials were in the community. And I can say, uh, numerically, the 38,000, more than 38,000 people have visited in the last five years, um, which is a pretty good, you know, uh, it means that I am reaching people, probably That's more a people lot. <laughs> than I would have reached with a book. Um, yes. So it, it may not be, well, when somebody buys a book, you don't know that they're actually reading it either. So um, I can actually look how much time people have spent on each of the pages. And I do that as a way of helping me figure out where where people are having problems or what things that people are most interested in. And so I revised the whole website, um, you know, from, from the first time I put it up until, and then I, I did a complete revision and I used the data that I got from people uh, to help me um, think about what what, where people might be having more trouble, where I needed to put more resources. Um, 
but the movement to the to the um, Facebook came out of I I had a I, I still have on the website a form that people can can fill out and ask me questions and I've helped I've helped doctors in India figure out how to uh, shape their action research around and their question was how do you get people to return to the clinic after a problem that needs follow-up and so you know it was an interesting discussion of rural medicine in India that I never would have had a part of in my normal everyday work but you know people would send me these questions and I would puzzle along with them to help them think about what what tools they have to help them solve those um, those problems. Um, but I decided that uh, it's a little scary to talk to somebody that you don't know on a site that you don't know if you really belong at. You know, it's just there or you found it. Um, you know, is this person, I, I remember when I got accused of wiki squatting in the very early days. What? I don't even know what that is. Wiki squatting. Um, <laughs> when wikis first got created, um, there, you know, there are open places where people could change things. And so my students and I uh, went to a site that had these changes and we started enjoying that process of, of developing the site along with the people. And, um, and I got a letter saying, you are wiki scotting. This is our wiki and you didn't belong there. <laughs> oh <laughs> you my goodness. Over our territory. And I thought, oh, that's a that's a strange concept, kind of like a, a territorial uh, boundaries. So, you know, sensitive to that, I realized that some people come to a site and they think, well, this site was designed for some other group of people. You know, do I have a right to actually be the person that is talking to? So I thought, well, if I create a Facebook group, um, then that is clearly by its definition an open public forum that people can feel comfortable and can I generate some more interaction around uh, a Facebook group and partly it was me learning how to use the Facebook technology of you know the Facebook group technology because uh, I wasn't a really active Facebook user and so I you know there was a lot of learning for me to do to figure out how to do that and um, so it, it started small and it just kept growing. And as it got larger, I kept thinking, well, what can I, how can I help this community? What is it this community wants or needs? And it's kind of hard to get the community to actually talk back. I'm really happy now that I got a core of maybe, you know, 10 people who, who, who were actually very responsive, including you, um, who, read things and post things and uh, so it's not just me if you go back in history you'll see it's just me posting um, but i tried to keep as a commitment that i will search the web um, at least once a week and and usually i'll do it two or three times a week um, to find groups of people or projects that are going on in action research around the world that will inspire people to see that this is a movement, that it is a way of living life. Um, and that's really my kind of goal, is to help people see that it's not something that a teacher someplace is making you do for a reason. It's really a way of being in the world. It's, you know, organizations, I, I really liked when I found the um, collective action research site 
where people are thinking about worldwide action research. So how do you get everybody in the world to do something like climate change or you know, uh, social justice or you know, how do you organize at that level, at the world level? And you know, reading their site and thinking about how they've positioned their work has inspires me. You know that somebody wants to think that large in terms of um, organizing uh, action. But I think if we all think in terms of action research, we can start to think about how to use the technology, how to really solve the problems that we face in larger and larger and more effective groups. So I'm, I, I think that there is a, a community that, that is waking up to their power as individuals and are seeing that they can remake the world in an image that reflects their values and their desire to be in a, in a world of their making. I love that. That reminds me so much of, you know, all the reading that I did um, from Freire and Herlanda Fallsborda and Miles Horton and, and kind of the grassroots efforts that took place back in this, well, all the way back to the 30s, 40s. Yep. Yep. And the, the need to own the problem and the need to believe that you can be a knowledge creator and change the world is, is I think, critically foundational to the way I look at action research. Exactly. And sounds like what um, what you are doing. Um, I've noticed on the Facebook page that you have, um, I have seen all the continents represented, fairly confident in that. Um, how do you disseminate the information about the group uh, to try to reach new people? Do you do that from looking for the action research projects as you talked about and letting yeah. them know? I think um, the only thing that I do to promote it, I mean, the, the web, the, the action research tutorials is, is the main, main way that I think people find it is that they see that Facebook link there and they go and follow it out. Um, I do when I find, if I remember, when I find an interesting thing to feature, if, they, if I see an easy email, I will send back a link to that person telling them that, that we are putting their materials on the, on the um, Facebook, mm -hmm. just so that they have a chance to check back and make sure that, um, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, that I've represented their materials in a way that they feel comfortable with or that they might extend it by sharing more links. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that there's some, some um, joining from that, but I don't think that's really the largest thing. I think the, that word of mouth is pretty much, I see that, you know, that really there are people from a group, like we'll get, we'll get Icelandic uh, last names appearing and then more of them will appear. And I've set it up so that I have to approve everybody that joins, except if um, they are friends with somebody else that's already a member. And then that 
then they are automatically approved. So I can see, so, so the Facebook group tells me, you know, we've approved three people that are friends of X person. Um, so I can see that that person is suggesting to other people that they join. So I see a little bit of how it spreads that way when, mm -hmm. a, when, a, when a person is automatically approved as opposed to when I approve right. them. But um, right. we're up to 458 people. <laughs> wow. Uh, and, you know, I actually have this little notebook that I keep next to the computer and I write their names down as they join. Um, in the old fashioned way? In the old fashioned way. <laughs> um, and, and a little line so that I know because the, the Facebook sort of keeps track. But if these people who are automatically added, I might miss them. And I try to welcome everybody that comes into the, into the community. I think nice. that's a nice, it's, it's nice to hear when somebody walks into the room, it's nice to hear someone say, you welcome, you belong here. And so mm -hmm. I try to do that for everybody that joins. And, um, you know, I, I find that it helps me to know who's, it's kind of double check to make sure I don't miss people by, uh, and, I, and I kind yeah. of like writing their names down. There's something about putting a name down in a book yeah. that feels. Uh, I, like, I like the community feel and maybe that writing yeah. it down helps with that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I, for each person who's taken the time to join, I've taken the time to read and write their name, which I feel like sort of is a membership thing. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we're coming to the end of our time. So I wanted to let you have the podium for one last time. Uh, well, not last time, but on this <laughs> podcast, what, what are your burning questions or hopes for action research in the next decade? As we're in 2020, we're in a very odd year right now with we all are, of the pandemic and, um, um, you know, all of the, uh, the protests going on and um, social, social inequity and clashes. What are your hopes for um, action research? Well, I guess it's, it's such a big question. It's hard. It to is a big question. That. Sorry, but I, I think that, but, but okay, go the, ahead. the way I'm going to think about it is, is we often feel like our institutions define us, but we don't realize that we define the institutions, that each one of us is an arrow pointing in a direction that that institution is moving. And if we alter the direction that arrow points, we have power. So the reason we don't see our power is that we point in the same direction. So if we feel like, you know, if if our marriage uh, is the same as all of the other marriages that are happening, then all of the marriages point in the same direction. We are defining that institution. If we change our arrow, at first we're just a little like disruption in the otherwise smooth institution. But the more we can get other people to change their arrows to point in the same direction as we want to point that to a to a different value, um, the more we can convince other people that that's a reasonable action, then the stronger and more powerful we are in changing that institution. And so what we're seeing today is that the people who have put up with policing that is inappropriate, that has become militarized, you know, that there has been a process of more and more military buildup of the police 
and and there has been this conflict with with some groups of people saying yes this is not appropriate this is not the way we need to be policed well now we have lots of voices that are being raised that say militaristic policing is not our value it's not what our american values say we should have in this country and so we will change it and you can watch how fast we are changing things it's just remarkable what happened when large groups of people started to point their arrows in a different direction you can see the power that each of us has each person in a rally has power by the nature of their voice and feet in that space in time and together they are reshaping the way we will think about police for the rest of our country so i'm encouraged by the power that people both have and can express in the in these days of um social media and the control you know there's a part of me that fears mob and anarchistic rule and and people following uh ideas that they haven't thought out but the antidote to that is action research is careful planning thinking uh using data being scientifically not magical thinking driven um being uh reflective and really thinking through their actions not just doing what people suggest you do but actually have a plan and a reason for why you do it so if we create the mentality and the uh mental capacity to really set yourself on an action research course as young learners then we really can have a situation where people do collectively define their existence and they do it in a thoughtful careful uh reflective scientific and logical way um so that's my hope um is yeah. that as as we continue to promote an action research framework and way of thinking that it will be the force that helps people who are passionately involved in change approach that change in a way that is uh systemic and long and long lasting. Yes. Yes, thank you. I think not that you need that that assurance, but I think Miles Horton and Orlando Falls Porter would be proud. I think that exemplifies their writing and what they were trying to do in their countries and with the people that they worked with and and that we can't and what the Highlander Center still is doing um I agree. I agree 100%. Um, it's just amazing. I um, I've been looking at their Facebook page as well, but people engaging in not just saying things are bad, but saying I want to work for change. That mm -hmm. together with everybody else who's affected so that we're not just maintaining the status quo to not make trouble. Um yeah, so this so problem the problems we see today are really opportunities. for change there there are yes. opportunities for learning and that learning is an opportunity for change it has been a joy to talk with you <laughs> and i thank you so much for engaging with me in these global conversations well thank you so much for having me